Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Balance Bond Podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm pretty stoked because right now I'm talking into my new microphone that is hooked into my new audio interface, which means I've officially graduated from my original equipment for this podcast, which was 27 episodes ago, something around there, half a year, crazy, because it's been pretty much one episode a week since then. So we're moving on up in the world and I'm excited I'm also excited, pretty much over the moon actually, to talk about three separate things right now really quick. It's nothing crazy, but I wanted to tell you guys if you haven't already seen on my blog or on my social media or in person, because I'm sure I've been talking about this everywhere, that my Soul on Fire yoga ebook is out and available. You can purchase it on my website. It's on the top slider on the homepage. I'm running tons of giveaways right now to celebrate the fact that it's out and to celebrate the launch. And basically anybody who checks out the ebook, posts a photo of themselves with it or uses the TBB made me do it or Soul on Fire hashtag, you will be entered to win all these awesome giveaways with a ton of my favorite companies. And also, I'll just be personally really excited and honored because I've poured so much love and energy and space in my life into this ebook. It's truly, it's a real book. It's like over 200 pages of content, tons of original photos, 80 different flows, um, or sorry, 80 different poses, 15 different yoga flows, all this good stuff. And I probably was going to make it a book at first. And then I decided I just wanted to release it as immediately as possible. So that's what I did. Although I haven't left the book writing world completely, but there's that. So I'm really excited about the Soul on Fire ebook being out. And I just can't wait to share it with you guys. And secondly... I am over the moon to introduce today's guest, Luke Story of the Lifestylist podcast. Luke's podcast is pretty much similar to the Balance Bond podcast in the sense that he talks about wellness and health and mindfulness and yoga and all these different mind, body, spirit properties that leave us feeling our happiest, healthiest, and best so that we can live our best life. But I would say he takes it up a notch from the wellness stuff that I talk about on this podcast because Luke has tried everything. Seriously, he has used himself as a human research lab. He's explored far and wide, very extreme, tons of stuff to find his optimal health, optimal optimal performance, and optimal well-being. And I'm so inspired by him. He's a former Hollywood celebrity stylist. He's kind of left the party scene of Hollywood to pursue this life well-lived. And he's done everything. He has seriously been injected with poisonous frog venom. He's endured weeks of neurofeedback meditation in an isolation chamber. He has probably the most intense morning routine I've ever heard, but he's also inspired me to make my morning routine a lot more diligent. And I have to say, ever since I have, I've been happier, more productive, and more mindful. So thank you, Luke, for your inspiration. Pretty much in every single way, Luke inspires me. I listen to his podcast religiously. It was introduced to me just a couple months ago. So I've been catching up on Luke's episodes all the time, every chance I get. I think I've heard almost all of them now. He has some 
extremely rad guests from Gretchen Rubin of The Happiness Project to Daniel Vitalis, who talks about human domestication, to Jason Robel, who's a celebrity vegan chef, who is also a friend of mine. He's awesome. And yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. Luke is phenomenal. And I'm so excited to introduce his lifestylist philosophy with you guys. If you don't already follow him, you have to check out the Lifestylist podcast on iTunes. Check out Luke's story on social media. Read all about his full-blown lifestyle design. He is the top of the line. I think he's amazing. And I'm going to have him back on super soon because one hour with this dude was not enough to even begin to scratch the surface. But I'm just so incredibly honored that he came on the Soul on Fire show to share himself with me and with you guys. And I also wanted to take a moment to introduce today's podcast sponsor, Rebel. You probably recognize Rebel from my Instagram or from plenty of other wellness influencers, Instagrams, and social media accounts. And you've probably seen it on shelves at Whole Foods, Erewhon, wherever you shop that is a healthy grocery store because Rebel is making its name in the beverage space. They're coconut milk-based elixirs and protein drinks. And they taste incredible. Probably my current favorite is the cold brew or the dark chocolate protein, basically because both of them taste like chocolate and you know how I feel about chocolate. But even more importantly than that, the drinks are chock full of really nutrient-dense herbs and adaptogens from turmeric to matcha to adaptogens like reishi, maca, ashwagandha, all full of just incredible health benefits. I've written about a lot of these on my blog, especially on the last blog post I did with Rebel. So you can check that out on thebalancebond.com to read more about the health benefits of a lot of these different herbs that also taste delicious. And yes, they are trendy. Matcha is the prettiest color. Turmeric is everywhere right now. But adaptogens, if you don't know what they are, you should know and you should care. Adaptogens are super herbs that were used by ancient cultures to bring the body back to balance. So yes, they're very on brand for the balanced blonde lifestyle, but also just for how I live my life. So let me give you a little example to tell you how ashwagandha could be used because ashwagandha is in a lot of rebels drinks. So for example, if you are really, really overstressed and you're looking for something that might help, And on the other hand, you have a friend who's really depressed and they're looking for something that might help. You could both take ashwagandha and each of your respective symptoms would use the herb in a way that it needed to even you both out to a place of homeostasis. So the herb works for a lot of different things. Um, I take ashwagandha after I take yoga really late at night or after I teach yoga really late at night, basically both of them, because I'll get really overstimulated from either taking or teaching yoga. And because of that, I won't be able to fall asleep very easily. So my functional medicine doctor told me to take ashwagandha and it's amazing because Rebel has ashwagandha in their drinks. So all their drinks are coconut milk based. They have healthy fats and MCT oils, which you know is right up my alley. Huge fan for life. They're certified organic, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, paleo-friendly, basically everything that are my staples or else I wouldn't be talking about it. And something else you should know is that they are a very impact-driven company. They were born out of a nonprofit called Not For Sale, which is a 
nonprofit that protects against human trafficking. And the beverage brand Rebel exists as a part of the solution to help eliminate human trafficking along with not for sale. So I think that's really amazing. Those are the kinds of brands that I strive to align myself with and share with you guys. So we are going to be doing a giveaway just like we did last time Rebel was on the podcast. This time, we're going to have you post a photo on Instagram tagging the balance blonde and tagging rebel r-e-b-b-l and telling us what you loved about today's episode with luke's story so yes it's truly that simple and it'll be open for a week so from wednesday to wednesday you can win a case of rebel and you will also win a case of rebel for your best friend because we like to do things in duos around here so i'm Pretty excited to hear what you have to say is your favorite part of this episode with Luke because I think all of it is fantastic. So let's just dive on in and you can tag us on Instagram and tell us what you think. Welcome back to the Balance Bond Podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm so excited to have today's guest with me via Skype being very patient with me because there's all sorts of audio things happening. And this is actually my first time looking at someone via video while interviewing them. So this is really cool. Luke just hopped on and here we are looking at each other face to face. So I'm very excited to have Luke Story on the podcast. He is a podcaster himself on the Lifestylist podcast, which I was recently turned on to by Jonathan, just kind of on a whim, told me to listen to this episode about happiness. And I started listening, got sucked into... I would say almost every single episode as I was gushing to Luke before we started recording, which is rare for me because I'm not a huge podcast listener, but I just feel like our lives are kind of on this similar trajectory of this wellness hack obsession, just like how to live a mind, body, spirit type of life that's rooted, of course, in happiness and health and wellness. And Luke has tried what it sounds like just about everything. And so I had to have him on the podcast to talk about all of it. He also has a really interesting background as a celebrity stylist, and he has a style school called School of Style, and he lives here in Los Angeles in Hollywood. I know a creepy amount about him. So I'm just going to let him go ahead and introduce himself to you guys, and then we'll get started. I have tons of questions for him. Yeah, thank you so much. And it's really great to um, that you asked me. It's fun to be interviewed. You know, now that you have a podcast, you probably see this, but it's for me, it's way easier to be the interviewee than the interviewer. Like when I'm interviewing someone, it's, I don't want to say stressful because it's fun, but it's like, I don't know, you really have to be on your game. Whereas when you're the guest on a show, which I've been on quite a few at this point, uh, it's super fun. So thank you so much for inviting me. And to introduce myself, yeah, so I have a podcast called The Lifestylist, and I have indeed been obsessed with health, wellness, spirituality, and all this stuff for, God, about 20 years now. And um, in the, I was just telling you about episode one of my podcast, and I, I, I rattled through all of the stuff that I've tried. And it's like, I think there's like 120, you know, healing modalities, alternative medicine, spiritual books, spiritual teachings, like all the stuff that I've been doing just to like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's all just to really feel good and enjoy your life, isn't it? And to grow and expand. So I've been doing that for a long time and decided to turn that into a show as kind of a vehicle by which to share what I've discovered and continue to discover with other people. 
And then in terms of my background, like you said, I was a celebrity stylist for 17 years. I worked a lot in the music industry and did that whole thing, uh, living here in Hollywood. Before that, I was a musician. And before that, I was just a a disturbed kid, a juvenile delinquent, and um, turned to a life of crime, drugs, and you know, I'm kind of telling the story backwards and, uh, and ended up in Hollywood just, you know, as a complete wreck of a human being. And then when I was 26, I sort of had a, an epiphany and awakening of sorts and started to really pursue all this stuff. So it's been since about 1996 or so that I've been going on this journey and, uh, and sharing anything I find with people like you. That's incredible. So I'm so curious how you got started on this wellness path, because as you mentioned, you had a lot of tough stuff going on prior to that addiction and um, definitely not the healthy lifestyle that you now live and that you now um, are so knowledgeable about all different types of health and wellness and spirituality, meditation. I know you're into Kundalini, which I love, which we'll definitely talk about. So how did it all start? Like what made you think I have to get healthy or um, was there some kind of something that you were introduced to that just started the ball rolling for you? Yeah, it's like when when one of those great meteors hit the earth and there was a cataclysmic shift, you know. <laughs> I had a lot of meteors in my life in my childhood. Yeah, you know, I suffered from I mean, you know, as Bob Marley says, every man's burden is the heaviest. So it's like, I mean, I sometimes I feel silly like saying, "Oh, I had a rough childhood and this and that" cuz I I mean, I have personal friends who went through just the most atrocious, horrendous childhood you can imagine. I mean, just severe, severe trauma and abuse. But the stuff that I went through definitely kind of set me on a path of, of I don't know what you want to call it, just being maladjusted to life, I guess you could say. And so, you know, as I said before, just as a kid, I was just, you know, got in a lot of trouble, a lot of emotional and behavioral problems and things like that. But a lot, at the same time, both of my parents were... Uh, this is in the seventies when I grew up seventies and eighties. And both my parents were like kind of really into health food and stuff is weird. So my mom was like a hippie from Berkeley and my dad was a cowboy from Colorado. So I had these two sort of polar opposite lifestyles, but both of them had some degree of knowledge and interest in health food and things. Like I remember being a little kid, this is going back when I was five or six years old and we lived with my grandmother in uh, in the East Bay in Northern California. And I don't, I don't have a lot of memories from that young, but one of the distinctive memories that I have is my mom like every day making me take this giant handful of vitamins, just horse pill vitamins, you know? And this is going back like 75, 76. I mean, it, it's not like today where there's vitamins at 7-Eleven, you know, and like there's people like us that have created a career in an industry out of out of all this. This is like... It was pretty fringe if you were into that kind of stuff. And uh, it was very sort of woo-woo at the time. But I remember her giving those vitamins to me my whole life. And um, I guess we ate the version of health food that would have been back then. And we shopped at the health food store, which was like bulk bins of like organic oats and stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, it's stuff that I wouldn't even eat today. I would consider it like junk food. But back then it was health food and uh, lots of vitamins. And the same thing with my dad. I mean, ever since I remember my dad, even though he was kind of a cowboy and into hunting and fishing and rodeos and stuff like this. He always had this huge, you know, cabinet of vitamins and supplements and stuff. So both of my parents kind of rubbed off of me in that way that they were interested in improving their health and supplementing their diet and things like that. And uh, in terms of the spiritual piece, my first bit of interest in that, I think, because I didn't grow up around any sort of religion or 
church or anything by any means. Uh, I think I went to church once or twice, maybe my whole life as a kid, just, you know, a random family member took me or something. But uh, what was prevalent was uh, being in the Bay Area. And as I said, this in the 70s, is there was a lot of hippie spiritual bookstores and my mom would read books like that and burn incense. And um, we'd go down to San Francisco a lot and the Haight-Ashbury. And um, it was just like I was attracted to sort of that Eastern mysticism and philosophy. And I loved going in those types of stores and things. So I was I was like interested from an early age in spiritual people and that sort of fringe uh, element. And then there was a really profound experience that happened when I was about, I always forget the age if I, if I really know or if I even know. It's probably, I don't know, say like 10 years old. Eight, yeah, between 8 and 10 probably. must have been like late 70s, 78, 79. My mom took me to an ashram to see a guru by the name of uh, Muktananda. And Muktananda to this day is, you know, in spiritual circles is one of the most renowned, like legitimate Eastern, you know, Indian gurus that came over to America in that period. There were a lot of them starting, well, God, going back probably to the 20s. Uh, but anyway, in the 60s and 70s, it was like really big, you know, there's a movement. So I went to see this guru, I went to what's called a darshan, which is just where you go up and sort of, you know, um, get blessed by the guru. And I did that when I was a kid. And I just, I just loved that experience. It's one of the most, I don't know, just one of the most profound experiences of my life because at that time, not having any sort of religion or any sort of real community, I had kind of an isolated, disjointed family. And so walking in that big ashram, it was in Oakland and everyone, you know, he's wearing orange and he's up on these pillows with flowers all around and, and silk tapestries and everyone's barefoot and there's the smell of incense in the air. And that just like, that hooked me, you know? Um, but it would be many years later before I decided to actually pursue those things. And you know, as I as I got into my 20s and moved to Hollywood and played in a band and just, I mean, I was just a disaster of a human being. It was fun. As we as we say, as people that are, you know, sobered up, we say it was fun. Then it was fun with problems. Then it was problems. <laughs> you, know, it's like, you know, I always look back on the times as a total nightmare, but that's not really true. I mean, it's really fun, you know, doing tons of drugs and running around Hollywood. And I was 19 years old, had a fake ID. And, you know, I, I met all these older people guys that been in bands and all these older women that took me under their wing and took me out on the town. So it was really fun. This is in the early 90s. But then it sort of started turning darker and the drugs got harder and more frequent and I became just totally trapped and just, you know, eventually led to a really, really dark, lonely time of just abject shame and self-loathing and hopelessness. And I just couldn't get out of that. And eventually I sought help, sobered up, and proceeded to get into all this stuff. So there were a couple key moments in childhood that led me in that right direction, or at least gave me, you know, some indication that there was something there that you could do if you needed to. And so when the time came, I started to kind of go back and really pursue those things. Wow. That's so cool. I always find it so awesome to hear that people had some sort of experience in childhood with spirituality or health or just like a little taste of it. Because I kind of had something similar. Like my parents were pretty healthy as far as healthy was back then. I mean, I grew up in the 90s, so it was like they didn't buy junk food. And they were sort of interested in fitness. And just even that little taste was kind of enough for me to pique my interest. So that's cool to hear that for you, you had that rooted so that when you did go through that really challenging time, you could kind of at least know somewhere inside of you, you had a lot 
to explore, which you've clearly done since then. So what were some of the first things that you started to do when you, when you began to get into wellness? Was it first the food component or was it movement and yoga or was it kind of just like an explosion of everything until you found what worked? Well, you know, it's funny. The very first thing was just getting involved in therapy and 12-step groups and things like that. So finding finding a way to change my perception of life because that was really that was the, that's the whole problem if you're an addict or an alcoholic it it's usually born out of some kind of trauma usually emotional trauma i find i mean it's been 20 years now i've been sober and i i work with a lot of people in terms of just counseling and i don't even want to say giving back cuz it's just the way that i keep my own act together but I, been around a lot of people with a similar story and it's always, you know, there was some kind of abuse or trauma or something like that. And so, you know, people like me use things like drugs and alcohol to sort of treat that pain. And, um, and then when you're done with that, then you turn to sex, money, cigarettes, sugar, you know, whatever, what, yeah, whatever other kind of dopamine producing uh, behavior. But um, really for me, it was just finding the very first thing I got into was just finding an approach to spirituality that was realistic and applicable and it was something practical, you know, and that's what I really found uh, within the 12 steps is just a very simple, non-denominational, non-scary, non-religious, non-weird thing where you go and hang out with other people that are overcoming or have overcome to a large degree the same problem that you're having and you seek help from those people and those people and, um, and then you in turn go to help other people that are sort of behind you. So that was the, really the first thing that was the most profound and um, I struggle with that sometimes because there's a very strong principle within that in that area that's anonymity. You know, you're, you're not really supposed to go out and say like, "Hey, I'm in this group or that group." But it's also difficult to like not give credit where credits due, and leave that part out. So I always kind of I'm like I'm sort of stuck on that. But I think I can say in a general way, you know, twelve step groups. Um, were the thing that were the the first thing that actually changed my thinking, that changed my emotional state, that um, introduced me to meditation and things like that. So the first thing was definitely the inside, the mind, the spirit. And then I, I pretty quickly started getting it, probably after the first year or something of, of that decision to just like change my life, was getting into the health stuff. And you'll notice, and I'm sure you've seen this for the, for the years that you've been into this, is that there's certain trends, you know, now everyone's like into green juice and, the, you know, there's just like, there's things I see and I'm like, that's totally cool. It's wonderful that that's gone mainstream, but um, there's been so many things. I mean, someone just reminded me of the ionic foot baths, which was another thing I used to do. So I just got mine out. Uh, because I'm gonna I'm gonna put someone through a detox protocol, and it's like this is maybe ten years ago the foot baths were a big thing, and then you know the infrared saunas and this and that. But very first things that I did, and when I work with clients or just friends and family, the first thing I start out with is fasting, juicing, and colonics. And so where I was at that point in my life was I was physically, I mean, emotionally, mentally as well. But as I said, I started to address that through um, through those groups, but uh, it was that I was so toxic from a lifetime of, you know, I mean, it probably started when I was a kid, like eating plastic toys, or like, you know, God knows what it's like the human body post industrial revolution is just a dumping ground for toxins on top of that, all of the street drugs and pharmaceutical drugs and just horrible food. And, you know, God knows what 
type of alcohol I was pouring into myself. Uh, so the first order of business for me was detoxing. And I did, th- I would do things like a 21 day juice fast where I only did green juice for 21 days, or I do a lot of three days or five days, seven days. I would do series of um, all types of different colonics, but eventually found what I believe is the best type of colonic, which is a gravity fed method. Uh, sometimes called a Kalima method, which is, it's just, it's very gentle and natural and it doesn't, there's all sorts of inherent issues with like a water pressure based like colonic. Uh, so I did a thing where like I went to Hawaii to a place called Angel Farms, which is still there. It's a, it's a really great facility just run out of someone's house, at least at that time and did 12 days of colonics, you know, to the point where like, yeah, for two hours a day with ozone and herbs and everything in the water. And like on the 10th day, you have like cobra snakes coming out of your butt and stuff, you know, just like parasites. And I mean, just so gnarly. Crazy. Um, so the first thing was like detox and then and then the rejuvenation, you know, and uh, the first path that I, and so a lot of this at this time it was American herbs, so a lot of um, American ginseng and echinacea and lobelia. I was doing a lot of work um, under... Dr. Richard Schultz at the American Botanical Pharmacy, which is still there. It's in Marina Del Rey. He has a great old school sort of American herbalist uh, system of detoxing and replenishing, did gallbladder flushes, did liver flushes, all that kind of stuff just to just to empty out a lot of infrared saunas and then started to rebuild. And the beginning parts of my diet were you know, just because I didn't know any better, I think at the time, and there wasn't so, so much availability of like pasture raised meat and like really the farm to table movement wasn't really happening. I didn't know about farmers markets to go meet a farmer. So I just quit meat altogether and was a vegetarian for 10 years, which eventually led to some health complications and things like that. So I stopped doing that. But um, yeah, it was just like, or maybe, you know, I was just meant to kind of clean the slate at that point. So I was getting my mind right, you know, learning meditation, um, getting support from, you know, a community of people, doing the fasting, doing the juicing, doing all of that crazy detoxing, and then really working with superfoods and herbs to kind of rebuild. That was the foundation. And I think for anyone like that's just getting into this stuff, that's a really good foundation because I don't care how healthy you think you are. If you haven't done tons of fasting and juicing and detoxing and stuff, you're you're a toxic waste dump. I mean, there's just no way unless you've been living in the middle of nowhere your entire life, you know, and in the tundra in Alaska or something like it's very difficult to not be full of heavy metals and pathogens and bacteria and yeast and fungus and mold and all of the stuff that we become susceptible to. So true. It's all so crazy. Well, so I don't know how familiar you are with my background or anything with like kind of um, what I've what I've experienced, but a lot of what you say makes me think of because I was doing like thirty day juice cleanses. This was like three years ago. I was very much on the vegan train. I had a blog called The Blonde Vegan, and this is before I transitioned my life to a much more balanced way of life. But I was hardcore raw vegan. Um, in it for life, I thought, like very, very in it and developed orthorexia, the obsession with health and wellness. And actually it was kind of 
unable to live a happy life or a healthy life because of it, because all I could do was be 100% (laughs) obsessed with eating green vegetables and green juice every single day. And I I, I couldn't function. So my question for you, because I know that a lot of people listening are familiar with my orthorexia journey and my kind of like... 30-day juice cleanse addiction, I would say. Um, Well, how do you recommend for someone who wants to get rid of the toxins in their body? And it's true. I mean, the life that we lead now, I mean, everybody is full of it. Just walking around in Los Angeles, it's terrifying once you think about it. So what would you say is a balanced way to dive into that for people who are like both of us who are kind of like, extreme and can really tip the scales into um, just being kind of like overly obsessed with getting rid of the toxins, being more pure, being closer to the earth, being a vegan or a vegetarian. Because I know that there's a way to do, I think we've both probably found like a more balanced way to do it throughout our journeys. What would you say would be like the way for someone who wants to detox but they also don't really want to um, go crazy with it. God, that's such, I mean, you bring up so many good points. There's a lot to unpack. I mean, I can just answer the question simply, but the orthorexia piece and all that, that this is, this gets into really interesting stuff because it's like, there's, there's self-obsession that is also self-love and self-improvement. And this is where it gets slippery because self-love is like, yeah, I'm doing this fast to clean my body because I'm because I love my temple and I value this temple that my soul is riding around in. And it's like all of that kind of stuff can be so easily justified because it all is positive. And it's just like I've spent, I mean, God, I mean, I remember when Dave Asprey from Bulletproof became public, he was like, and I've spent $300,000 upgrading my brain or whatever. I was like, that's all. <laughs> like, that's not very much, you know, but there's, I've justified like going into debt and causing myself psychic and emotional harm to go do some kind of retreat that's $10,000 that I really don't have the cash flow for, you know? So, and then justifying that, but well, you know, I'm growing spiritually. It's good for me. I need to do this. It's like, well, but you don't have the money. So how about you save up the money and then go? Or, you know, you're so obsessed about um, food that all you do is, you know, so like you said, sit around and think about vegetables and you only eat raw and vegan. And every time you go out with people, like you're such a pain in the ass and you become like a real pill to hang out with. You know, it's like, it, it's, there's a, it's a double-edged sword, this whole thing. So I would say for someone that's getting into it, be aware of the propensity for self-obsession to the point of having, you know, a sort of mental or emotional disorder. And and that's the thing I've really worked with a lot because I have been very extreme and I have such an obsessive, like addictive, compulsive personality that in the earlier part of my life, it was all pointed toward negative things that were self-destructive. And then when I turned it around, it's like that self-obsession and that narcissism didn't go away. It just got redirected to things that were easy to justify because they were positive. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like, it's such a tricky, it's such a tricky thing because the other side of it is like, oh, so what am I supposed to do? Just like, just not think about myself and just eat McDonald's. Fine. Okay, great. I'll just be unhealthy. You know, so what I think your question really points toward is, is that balance. You know, how can someone who's new find a balance? And I think what I would recommend is be aware of how much you're thinking about yourself. 
what I'm eating, what technology, my, my biohacking, checking, getting my blood work checked, having my fitness tracker, you know, all of the things in my meditation, my yoga class, me, me, mine, mine, mine. A lot of these practices can become very self-absorbed and self-obsessed. And what's I've discovered about myself is that really, even though some of these things are positive, they can also be used as a distraction from really facing what's actually blocking me in my life, which is you know, a lack of spiritual connection or a lack of connection to other people, a fear of intimacy, a fear of closeness uh, in relationships I've been looking at a lot lately is just, you know, a fear of enmeshment or being abandoned or being hurt. I mean, I'm 46 years old and it's like, I'm, you know, I still am dealing with being abandoned at 13 years old, you know, and taken away from my parents. And it's like that left a scar on me. And so now I'll go obsess on Amazon for three hours on finding the ultimate spirulina in the world. And spirulina is good for me, but you know what would be good for me? How about I face the fact that I lost my parents at 13, essentially, because I was shipped away to a boarding school and never to return, you know? It's like, there's, and there's you know a million other things like we all have in our life. And so I find that I've used health and wellness and even going to yoga and doing this and doing that as ways uh, to really hide and run away from the emotional stuff that is there to face. So I would say for someone new, do the inner work, man, you have to face the shadow. You got to face the darker side. You got to face the ego. Otherwise, all this shit is just going to be a distraction your whole life, you know? So whether that looks like a spiritual group or a 12-step group or therapy or, I mean, there's, God, there's just endless retreats and things that one can do to kind of get comfortable with themselves and really get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, for the past month, I mean, I've been going through a lot of changes emotionally and specifically within the realm of romantic relationships, actually for the past year. And you caught me on a really good day. I'm in a place right now. I've resolved some things, you know. Uh, but if you would have caught me a week ago, I mean, I might have had to cancel the podcast because I was just so distraught by things that I'm facing. So the inner work, I think, is number one. That said, good luck working on yourself if you have a head full of aspartame, MSG, glyphosate from Roundup in the in the gluten that you're eating and your whole body's inflamed and you're eating grains and foods that are kept in silos that are moldy like corn and wheat and um, your hormones are jacked up because you live on soy. I mean, it's like you ha- you do have to, like you said earlier in the, in the show, the mind, body, spirit, you have to do them all. So keep the idea of balance. But I would say the very first thing would be uh, for someone to do, this is the easiest thing to do, is do like a guided juice fast by any one of those like cold pressed juice places. You know, you, and if you don't live in like LA or New York, it might be a little harder to find. But I mean, I think most big cities probably have some, two or three different legit juice places that have like a three-day fast or a five-day detox and these things. I mean, they're, they're pretty popular. Uh, I think that's a really good place to start. And then I would start by getting a series of at least three colonics. And if you can find a place that does gravity-fed colonics rather than a pressure hose, it's just like a lot more gentle on your body. And it's 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 not a comfortable experience by any stretch, but it's more comfortable than having someone shoot a fire hose up your butt, which is basically what happens in your standard kind of Western medicine colonic. And then, and then really, I think the way it, it depends on the personality. Here's the thing. Some people are just like, give me all the shit I'm not supposed to eat. Give me the stuff I'm supposed to eat. All in. Like I've coached people like that. They're just like, give me a list of a hundred things to do. I'll start doing them all tomorrow, no problem. And then some people need to be eased in incrementally. 
through like the law of displacement where, okay, I'm going to just add one green juice a day and they're not going to stop eating, you know, donuts or anything. But what happens is you add that green juice and then later on you're like, oh, I should go get donuts. For me, like cronuts are like the ultimate crack. Like it literally probably once a year, I'll go buy like three cronuts and just crush them and be sick for three days, you know, a day per cronut, whatever your poison is. Um, but what, what happens, I think, for the people that want to do it incrementally and don't have the self-discipline to really uh, comply with just changing everything at once is you add that green juice. And then later that day, you're like, you know what? I don't actually don't really feel like having that donut or that cigarette or whatever it is. Like you don't have to quit anything. You just have to add things. And I learned this years ago from David Wolf. It's just such a great metaphor, um, that, that displacement. And, and then I thought one day, you know what? It's sort of like if you have a glass full of muddy water and you want to empty it out, but it's too heavy and you can't tip it all over. You can't tip it over all at once and just, empty out the dirty water and then fill it up. You have to just put it under the sink and just fill up that glass with clean water little by little. And eventually all that dirty water is displaced. It's sort of like that with diet, you know, with the water you're drinking, the the food you're eating, you kind of have to add in the good stuff and then the bad stuff ends up um, sort of falling by the wayside. In terms of my personal recommendation of what's worked for me after, I was never a raw vegan, but as I said, I was a vegetarian for a long time and I've tried everything. But what I finally found, which I don't even like saying I'm on a diet, but what really works for me is the bulletproof diet. And that's been, I don't know, three or four years. And I really like that approach to the food piece because it's on a spectrum. It's not like it's, it doesn't have duality. It's not like this is off limits, this is on limits, this is good, this is bad. It's not in the good or bad. It's that the things down here in the red, and if you can find this, it's just Google um, Bulletproof Diet Infographic and you'll find like a PDF of it. I went and got a bunch of them laminated. Actually, I have one sitting right here. I give it to my friend's family because they're always like, what do I do? It's so confusing. What do I eat? I'm like, it's really not confusing. Look at this infographic, put it on your refrigerator Take it with you to the grocery store and don't buy the shit that's down in the orange and red. You know, it's like get the stuff that's in the yellow, light green to dark green in the top of the scale. This way, if you have a little slip up, it's not like, oh, I'm off the diet. It's just, oh, I just, I sunk down a little lower on the scale and I'm eating some things that are inflammatory. But essentially what that diet is, is mostly vegetables, really high fat, uh, moderate, very clean, well-selected animal proteins. And um, it's just a really simple thing. And and Dave Asprey put, a, I've worked with him, you know, as a coach on health and business and all kinds of stuff and uh, have been a Bulletproof ambassador for a couple of years. And I really love just that brand and everything they do from his podcast and all that. But I got to say, just whether you like Bulletproof coffee or their whole trip or his whole thing, the dude's approach to food is based on research. I mean, it's not just like, oh, this is what I think is morally right or you know, have some position on something because he has any vested interest. Um, of course, he has an interest in selling you Bulletproof coffee, which is, I think, a really great coffee. And I love that formula. It changed my life. But in terms of the approach to food, it's just very simple. And and if you study the really big gurus in in the modern sort of food movement, at least outside of the vegan scene, everyone pretty much agrees that an anti-inflammatory diet is the best diet. So whatever that looks like for your individual body. But the Bulletproof diet, colonics, starting out with some fasting, being aware that you don't want to become too self-obsessed, that would be like a really great starting point. 
I hope everybody's taking notes because these tips are amazing. And I'm so impressed that you just were able to give so many different, um, to- like, I think there's something for each person here, whether they want to try colonics and, and if they're like me and they want to go all in and do everything you said and do it today, then, then they're like me and they're going to do that. Or like you said, some people are just going to incorporate one thing at a time and that's all. Those are incredible tips. And I'm a bulletproof person too. It's totally changed my life, changed my digestion. I have all sorts of food allergies, food intolerances, probably like one of the most sensitive bodies that I've of anybody that I know is the body that I live in. So I have to be really careful and bulletproof has been huge for me. Um, so it's really cool to hear that you agree and that you eat that way too. And I know something you've talked about on your podcast is that you dabble with not having caffeine very often, which is something I try to do too, because from what I can tell from like, as much as I've stalked you via every single podcast episode is that you're a high energy person. You're an extrovert. You're prone to probably heightened anxiety and all those kinds of things, which is totally also how I am. So tell us about that. Do you, what are are you on coffee right now or no? You know what? It's, it is such that is such a tough one because one of the, you know one of the reasons that I ended up years ago becoming a drug addict and all that was largely due to anxiety and anxiety had a root in as I said before just trauma you know and so I've always sort of had at least some degree of anxiety and that's something that I'm always working on through meditation and you know I have right behind me an infrared sauna I take a sauna every night which puts me in a parasympathetic state. I do float tanks I do neurofeedback I mean I I take every like calming herb <laughs> in the universe you know everything in Chinese medicine and and beyond to like stay calm and not have anxiety but here's the thing I never used to drink coffee because it made me feel crazy and I was so sensitive to it. But then when I found Bulletproof Coffee, what I discovered was that, well, and for those listening that don't know, you know, you may have heard of Bulletproof Coffee, but essentially it's a coffee bean that's at least been tested to make sure it doesn't have any mold or mycotoxins in it. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that that they think they can't drink coffee because it makes them irritable and moody and they they crash and then they need another cup and they have a cup, they get irritable and moody, then they crash. That is usually not caffeine sensitivity. Usually it's a mold sensitivity and not all, you know, because I everyone gives Bulletproof a bunch of flat because, you know, he kind of cornered the market on mold-free coffee. I believe there's a lot of coffee produced in the world that probably doesn't have mold as well. However, I don't know anyone else that tests for it. So that's the only coffee I drink. And the other magical thing about that coffee formula is that, you know, and Dave Asprey didn't invent this. Um, in, in ancient India, they've been, I mean, for thousands of years, been drinking ghee in hot teas and hot elixirs with herbs and stuff. I mean, like mixing fats with herbs as a delivery system is not anything new. He just put it together with the herb called coffee. So when you mix the caffeine and good clean coffee with fats, which is brain octane oil from Bulletproof and then you know grass-fed ghee or grass-fed butter, what happens is, and this is what I discovered and had to kind of piece it together, is it sort of time releases the caffeine because when you put it in a strong blender like a Vitamix or a Blendtec and you blend that up, the, um, the caffeine molecule gets emulsified in the fat 
And then when your body processes the fat, it does that very slowly versus like sugar or carbs or if you just drink a black coffee. So if I just like pound a black coffee right now, I will be jittery and really feeling it, even if it doesn't have mold in it, because it hits your nervous system and your bloodstream and your brain so fast. I mean, as fast as you can absorb water, you're absorbing that, you know, that liquid black coffee. So when I started doing the Bulletproof Coffee, a couple of different things happened. I had energy all day long. Like just unstoppable, no afternoon slump. Um, immediately, it was easy to quit sugar, grains, gluten. I stopped craving carbs. It like made me instantly sort of ketogenic, paleo. Like I just, I, I get sometimes sugar cravings at night a little bit, but usually I have some berries. I have some organic berries, and like I'm like, oh cool. I actually didn't need to go get a creme brulee down the street at a restaurant, or you know, get a pint of ice cream to the head or whatever. You know, like I used to get really sudden impact sugar cravings. So I had a lot of positive impact from that. But getting to the answer to your question, uh, coffee does have some issues for me. Now, I just recently had my genetic testing done, and I am actually a fast metabolizer of caffeine. Some people metabolize caffeine slowly. You can't control this. This is just something you're born with. I always thought that I probably was somewhat um, intolerant to caffeine because it gets me so hyper and kind of uncomfortable sometimes. But the thing is, if I have a coffee like it, even at 5 or 6 p.m., I can still go to sleep at 10 and get a good night's sleep. Like I metabolize fast, right? I burn it off. So I discovered that and I was like, well, what is it then? And you know what it is? is for me, I think I just, I have enough natural inherent anxiety just as an undercurrent based on my life and just living in freaking Los Angeles, man. I mean, I walked out today to go to Belcampo and get some uh, pastured bacon <laughs> and some bone yeah. broth. And um, I walk outside and there's like, the gardeners are there. They got the mows going, the leaf blowers. And I'm just like, ah, ah. I mean, like I was walking into Vietnam. It's just like, oh, fuck, I got to get out of here, you know? And it's just like, I don't like loud noises and it's just, I'm, you know, I'm not totally stable. So on a good day, if everything's smooth and my life is awesome and I'm just feeling productive and great, then caffeine is such a win for me. But if I'm going through some shit, I often am because that's what I've asked the universe for is to help me grow. Show me the, show me the tough stuff, you know, show me my lower self and help me to overcome it. Then caffeine is a little challenging. So as far as like recommendation, I would say don't, you know, it sounds crazy because um, I, you know, it's hard because I am a Bulletproof representative. In fact, you can use the name Luke Story at Bulletproof.com and save 10% off most things that you order with the exception, I think, of tech and pound bags of coffee. So I am like a shill for Bulletproof because I really support what they do. But I would say if you're someone who thinks you're sensitive to caffeine, try Bulletproof coffee. Uh, specifically that brand with brain octane and grass-fed butter. And you'll find you might just rock your life on coffee. You've just been drinking shitty Starbucks coffee with a bunch of hydrogenated oils in it and sugar and all kinds of shit that they put in regular coffee shops. Or you might just you might find that you're a person that doesn't tolerate it. For me, it's borderline. And so today, it's, it's funny, today I actually didn't have any coffee because I'm doing an experiment to see if the coffee has anything to do with the aches and pains that I have in my body. Because I've heard from a few sources and a couple of practitioners that 
Caffeine, coffee activates the pain receptors in your brain and it gives you not inflammation, but a feeling of inflammation. So like it gives you a sore back and sore joints and stuff because I still have that a lot. Like my body's in a lot of pain, but I don't eat any inflammatory foods. I'm totally detoxing all the time. I get body work. I do all types of yoga. I do acupuncture. I do so many things that would make your body not hurt. Um, you know, hot springs, cold thermogenesis, ice baths, cryo. I do cryo probably five times a week. And it's like, why does my body hurt? Right. My body should feel so gooey and supple. So I'm always looking for the culprit. So uh, there is a theory that caffeine is, if you're prone to having pain in your body, that it makes it worse. So I have a love-hate relationship with coffee because... I freaking love the taste of coffee. I could I could literally drink bulletproof coffee all day long. Like put you know those little like backpacks that hikers use with the straw coming out. Like I could wear one of those things. Yeah, yeah. I could wear one of those with just a drip of bulletproof coffee. Like I'm obsessed. Uh, but me, it does have some consequences that I'm always sort of weighing. Me too. And there, that is. That's a twenty-minute. That's a twenty-minute answer to a five-second question. But um, anyway, you know, it was it was there to share with people because, I, you know, like it sounds like for you, all I did really it's about maybe three, four years ago. The one of the most major change to my health was just starting to drink a cup of bulletproof coffee every morning. That changed my entire body because it led to a cascade of other benefits like being in ketosis and intermittent fasting and all these different things that just happen to you when you start your day eating really good fats. Yeah. And getting that, you know, and getting that energy from the caffeine. It's like the first thing I noticed was I dropped 15 pounds in like a month and a half. I didn't work out anymore. I didn't change anything except added those fats. It's like eat more fat and I'm skinnier. What the F? Like, <laughs> you know, and then I started to learn, you know, why that is. So, so that's what's up with that. All right. What's next? No, I laughed on your podcast. You said something recently about like just the way that you spend your mornings and you have this really nutritious, fat filled drink, probably some type of bulletproof coffee or with um, all the different herbs and everything. And that you like to do, you have your whole routine. You do your sauna and ice bath, or I mean, I'm just, you'll have to say what it is exactly, yeah. all that stuff. And then you start your day at like, I don't know what time in the afternoon. And I was laughing because I'm so that way too, even like, my boyfriend slept over last night and he's like, so should we have breakfast or are we going to just have like a really nutritious beverage because we're at your apartment and that's of course what we're going to have. So I was laughing because the way that you described your whole morning is basically the way that I also choose to live my mornings. And I think we're really lucky that we have this flexible lifestyle, which is a whole other next question that I have for you after you tell us your morning routine, just about how you totally developed this, what I call a soul on fire lifestyle for yourself, um, where you have a podcast about everything you love and you basically just get to represent it and coach people through that. But before I jump completely ahead. I do just want everybody to hear what your routine in the morning is. Oh my God. It's so it's it's so funny because to your average person, the things that I do on a daily basis, just in a 12 hour period that I'm that I'm awake or whatever, sound like so much. And I'm but I'm sure you've experienced this too, is that it's sort of like I said, that law of displacement or just adding little bits at a time. I've been adding and subtracting practices and behaviors and habits and things like that for 20 years. So for me to get up and spend 
three to four hours just getting prepped for my day is totally normal. And to someone else that would be like, oh my God, how do you have time for that? Or isn't that a pain in the ass? And it's to me, it's like, well, what do you do? You get up, you probably go on the internet immediately and cloud your mind with negative bullshit or distractions. Um, this is, you know, maybe the average Joe, right? And then you um you get up and eat a bunch of things that that are full of glucose, you know, it's like you, you eat some carbs, some oatmeal, some sort of sugary stuff, or, you know, like, can you imagine waking up and having like a giant orange juice? Like, Oh my God, that would like give me the worst day ever. I'm like, dude, like, yeah, I'll wake up and have 50 grams of sugar when I get out of bed. Great. That's really going to set me up fasting energy, but everyone already has a morning routine and already has habits. It's just like, how much does that serve you? No one complains that they have to take a shower every morning, uh, take a poop, hopefully, um, you know, and brush their teeth, do their hair, do this, do that. For some women, put on makeup, etc. Uh, so all the stuff I do is sort of just a replacement for some of the habits that I maybe used to have or that some other people have. So for me, what it looks like is uh, very first thing I have a glass of spring water that I put on my nightstand from the night before. That's got a bunch of different ionic minerals and um, uh, some iodine, some nascent iodine in there, and a pinch of sea salt. And the sea salt activates the adrenals and uh, and alkalizes your body, mineralizes your body. So I, I have like a giant, basically mineral water, like high mineral content. And then what's the next thing I do? I um, because I've I've suffered uh, periodically from what's called a hiatal hernia, and that's where like part of your stomach. Yeah, it kind of gets pumped up under your ribs and you have heartburn all the time. And so what I do is I pound that huge water and then I bounce on my heels about 10 times to put there's weight in my stomach sack and it knocks it back down into where it's supposed to sit. And I've essentially... Yeah, it's cool. I I learned it from a a bodywork guy who also was the one that told me... Because he'd like touch these pressure points on my body. He's like, does it hurt here? I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, it's the caffeine. You know, and he's the one. Uh, which is weird, but he's the one that's like, dude, you have a hiatal hernia. That's why your whole, your digestion screwed up. I don't care what diet you're on, what fermented foods you're eating. You are never going to digest because your stomach is not where it's supposed to be. So no more um, bending over, no more like inversions, none of that shit. You have to drink a giant glass of water and bounce on your heels to knock your stomach back in place. I'm like, you know, you know me, I'll try anything. So so I do that and that gets like literally get, puts my stomach where it's supposed to be if it's shifted around in the night or whatever. Wow. It's cool. Yeah, it really, it really helped a lot with the digestive problems. Uh, and then and then I'll probably hang upside down. I mean, um, hang upside down an inversion table or just go to my little monkey bars that are in the, you know, one of those pull-up bars in the doorway. Um, I won't hang upside down if I just did the water thing and I don't want my stomach to pop out. But I'll, in other words, I'll stretch somehow immediately. And then I'll um, fire up the spring water from fountainoftruthspringwater.com. Uh, if you live in Southern California, actually, I'll put in another plug. If you use the code lifestylist, I think you save 31% on that. Oh, wow. People love it when I, yeah, people love it because they're like, oh, what's the best this? What's the best that? And I never say it unless like I can get you a discount on it. I love that. You know, it's like if, if I'm promoting people, they better give a discount. So, um, so I'll do, you know, I, I, um, I, I'll heat up the coffee or the herbal elixir water and I use glass only and I get that hot water and then I'll make like sometimes a quick little smoothie. That's not even really a smoothie. It's just like really gross nutri. It's like, it's like powdered vitamins basically. So I'll put like MSM, um, plant derived, wood derived MSM. That's not from GMO corn. 
Um, and then I'll do like some spirulina, I'll do some amino acids. God, what else do I put in there? Chia seeds, um, curcumin powder, like an extract of turmeric. I'll put a little black pepper in there so that the um, the curcumin becomes bioavailable because it's really hard to sort of digest that and get anything out of it. Um, what else do I put in there? Some brain octane oil. I'll put some medicinal mushrooms in there, probably some um, gelatinized mold-free maca root. Just whatever like superfoods I'm kind of into at that time that don't have carbs or sugar that are just sort of like a concentrated extract powder or liquid. Uh, because I don't want to go out of ketosis and I don't want to break my fast that I've been in since I ate, you know, the night before at nine o'clock or whatever it was. So I make that little drink, hop in the shower, then do like a bulletproof coffee or four sigmatic um, herbal mushroom blends. And then I don't drink the coffee until I've meditated. So I'll do a 20-minute Vedic meditation. When I meditate, I use something called the human charger, which I put in my ears. And a human charger essentially um, sends light signals into your brain that tells your brain that it's noon. So it really invigorates you and wakes you up and kind of sets your body clock. If it's sunny out, which it mostly is in California, I'll do that meditation on my porch uh, naked in full sun exposure, found a way to do it where my neighbors can't see. <laughs> I have That's to stay awesome. in one very specific spot. And like, I have to sit down in this chair because the, the little balcony thing in my apartment is only like, it's, I don't know, maybe up to my thighs. And so I sit down in a chair, then I like secretly pull my shorts off. So I get full sun. And But before I stand up, I have to pull my shorts um, back on because the body really loves sun. You have photoreceptors all over your skin. Uh, in fact, even at night, if you, a lot of people know about blue blue light now, whereas if, if you look at like an LED or fluorescent light or headlights or your phone or laptop or TV or whatever that's producing like bright LED blue light, it kills your melatonin for up to four hours after you do that. Well, your skin is also the same. Um, they did this study where they put a light behind people's knee before bed, and that also killed the melatonin because your skin has receptors. So this is all Jack Cruz stuff. Um, for anyone that wants to look into this, look up Dr. Jack Cruz. If you're like a sciencey person, you think I sound nuts. Um, so I get that full body sun exposure. And, uh, and for guys... If you get sun on your wedding tackle, especially like midday sun, uh, I forget the percentage, but there was another study where they showed that it raises your testosterone by something crazy, like 60% or something. Like it's a huge boost hormonally uh, to get that sun. So I do that. If I'm doing a Kundalini yoga morning, then I'll probably skip the 20 minute meditation, skip the sun, do the rest of that. Then I bounce out the door because it's a 9 a.m. class at Nine Treasures Yoga uh, with my teacher, Tage. It's on Crescent Heights and Sunset in Hollywood. I'll do Kundalini Yoga for an hour and a half, which includes a lot of crazy breathing exercises, uh, a la Wim Hof, very similar to that if someone's familiar. It's not like a hold a pose kind of yoga. There's a lot of chanting. There's a lot of spiritual sermons and lectures involved. A lot of really interesting breathing techniques that get super high, oxygenate your brain, wake you up. The music's beautiful. Um, it's a really positive experience that sets the tone. Then I'll go across the street to Next Health and do a cryotherapy and maybe a vitamin B shot in the butt or a CoQ10 shot. Or even some days if I'm a bit run down or traveling, I'll do full on vitamin, micronutrient, uh, IV, and then do cryo. If I have a sore spot in the body, I'll do like local cryo with a little air hose. Cryotherapy is like freezing air essentially. Uh, and then if it's a workout day, I'll go to the gym, 
do a high intensity um, interval training at Story Fitness, my brother's gym. Then I'll follow that with like a legit freezing ice bath up to my neck for about 10 to 20 minutes at between 33 and usually 38 degrees, like in the mid 30s. Uh, and then if I have time, I'll come home and wrap all that up with an infrared sauna, which kind of relaxes me. And then I'll start work. And like I said, I start work mid-afternoon. No, I, I can usually be ready for work around 11 or 12. Um, but my peak time really like when I'm most productive is like if I could get away with this. Like last night, I did some great work around 11, like 11 to 1. I crushed a bunch of old emails and was really productive, you know. Um but I can't really sleep in because my hormones and you know melatonin, circadian rhythm, uh, cortisol, all that stuff is kind of on point. So I wake up with nature, unfortunately. But it's in my nature to stay up later. So I do start my work day later. But I'm I'm often still working at eight, nine, ten at night. I'll maybe take a break and meditate for twenty minutes around six, six thirty. Um, maybe go out for dinner, go see some friends, do something like that, go to a meditation class, maybe something along those lines, um, something spiritually oriented, and then come back and work. So for your average person, they're like, dude, who has time for that? How could you ever find time? It's just that I just I rearrange the time in my day. And like you said, people like us that make a living in an alternative way are able to do that. Whereas if I had a nine to five job, like that would suck. And that's why I would never have a job like that. I would find some way. I would walk around the neighborhood and wash people's windows. I would do anything other than have to be under someone else's watch. But I, I want to close by saying like, is I know my friend Daniel Vitalis, he gets a lot of flack from people because if you look at his Instagram or watch his life, it looks like he just doesn't work. And everyone's like, well, that's easy for you to say. Like you have money and you own a company and like, you know, you can just do whatever you want. And he's always like, dude, you have no idea how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. And I'd like to say for myself, you know, I own a business called School of Style, which is like a, you know, it's a really unique uh, boutique fashion school for people that want to be, you know, like a celebrity stylist. And I've been doing that for eight and a half years in addition to the podcast and all that. So it's like, dude, I work my ass off. I'm not like living the lifestyle of a health and wellness blogger where I just, you know, travel to the Mediterranean, look cool on Instagram, doing yoga poses and shit. I'm grinding. I mean, I have to do all this stuff to not be a nervous wreck or stressed out or to treat people like shit because I'm so frustrated or unhappy with my work life. So it's like, takes that many hours just to get me to be like a normal, happy, productive, focused guy to do the really challenging job of essentially running two companies, you know? Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. I can completely relate and I get the same type of flack from people. Just like, oh, I'm watching your Instagram story. Your life is just so fun. When are you ever working? What are you like? You're always at yoga and walking to Alfred Coffee and I'm like, yeah, that's what I put on my Instagram story. But I also exactly. am sitting in front of the computer for God knows how many hours per day, you know, doing all the stuff that it takes to run a business. So that brings me to my next question for you is you do have two successful, flourishing businesses. What would be your tips for people who would love to have this alternative entrepreneurial lifestyle that we both have? Um, and we've both, you know, just mentioned it's not like it's easy. It's not like it falls out of the sky. It's a ton of hard work um, and also a ton of self-care because if you're running something that's important to you, you have to take care of yourself. 
which you clearly do, which is amazing. So where could people start? People who do have a nine to five who dream of starting a podcast or starting a blog or starting a um, style school or really anything, where could they start? Well, where it started for me was going to seminars and boot camps and stuff like that for entrepreneurs and for people that were into business. And the very first ones that I went to were like, this is back in the late nineties. And we had like a real estate boom in LA at the time. And everyone was into flipping houses. I'm flipping houses. I'm flipping houses. Like everyone became a real estate agent and a real estate investor. And like so many of my friends bought a house for $200,000 and four years later is worth a million, like just crazy stuff like that. So I was like, oh shit, it was a grind. I was a stylist at the time, but I started going to all these kind of get rich quick, you know, weekend boot camps and seminars on how to invest and all this stuff. And uh, I didn't, and I actually did invest in a couple of properties, uh, but I lost money. (laughs) It wasn't like the guys at the seminar that were like, in six months, you can be a trillionaire and drive this yellow Lamborghini. so the first thing I did was just getting in the mindset of successful people is I, I really believe in collective consciousness. And there's a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he talks about the concept of the mastermind group. And that is like getting together with other people that have a common shared interest and goal and just a, you know, a sense of work ethic and, and what they're all about in their life. They share a passion. And so I started going to those groups and that gave me the idea to start my own boot camp slash seminar, which eventually became my business school of style, which, you know, I mean, last year we grossed um, 1.2 million, you know, and I'm not saying that to brag and trust me, it's not in my pocket or I probably wouldn't be on the call with you. I'd be in the Bahamas or something. You know, when you, that's the thing people don't realize too, is like your gross sales mean one thing, like your paycheck is another. And I'm, I do okay, but it's when you own a business, it's a building thing. You're building value into that business and you're providing value for your customers and your followers and stuff. So it's like, it's super fun to reach those benchmarks, but at the same time, you have to know that the money's not the goal. And if you own a business, you know where the money's going. It's going back into your business. Mm-hmm. You know, if I would have been taking out money for the past eight and a half years, more than I have, the business probably would have been bankrupt right now. You know? So the first thing is the mastermind. Like get around other people that are kicking ass. If you have a corporate job and your social circle is you and a bunch of chumps sitting around the water cooler bitching about how much it sucks to have a job and how much you want to be a blogger, an entrepreneur, or whatever. It's like, stay away from those people. Find the people that are doing it and become friends with them. And don't be afraid to ask people for help and for mentorship. I mean, I get, um, in, you know, if you're listening to this, don't everyone email me or something, but <laughs> I get a lot of like people hit me up on Instagram, like, hey, can I take you to coffee or, you know, just pick your brain about this and that. And, you know, I, I do that now for people that are younger and starting out. And I do that all the time for people that I look up to and respect. I mean, I embarrass myself consistently by overreaching what I think is like my social or socioeconomic level or circle and asking people to be friends with them or go to lunch or give advice from them. So I think the connections to the right people is really important. And then um, the other thing is, is people have to identify that you might think the idea of being your own boss and shit is sexy, but you might not have the personality for it because you have to really be a person of faith and you have to have adaptability as one of your top strengths. Entrepreneurship is not good for people that like routine, that like the mundane, that like predictability, that like security, that like safety. 
I would advise people to take a, a test called Strengths Finders 2.0. It's about a $20 book you can buy on Amazon. You take an online personality assessment. It takes about 20 minutes and it tells you what your top five strengths are. That's really good to know because your top five strengths might not equal the career that you're in, A, or the career that you want to have. Other tests like Myers-Briggs are immensely valuable to me because it helps me identify what I'm good at. Like you said earlier, I'm like this hyper energetic extroverted person. Do you know before I took personality tests like Myers-Briggs, I always thought I was an introvert because I have insecurities, you know, and I don't like crowds and like noisy bars and like I like I'm just a, I like socially to be chill. But if you interview me on a podcast, I got a lot to say. Put me in a room full of people. I will probably just by default be noticed. At least, you know, I don't know whether I'll be perceived negatively or positively, but I'm not the guy who disappears into the corner, you know, and becomes wallpaper. Um, And I found that out. And so I've been able to capitalize on that. I also learned from taking tests like that. I'm really good at connecting with people and inspiring people and also connecting with people that can help me. So... It's a matter of finding your strengths, getting around the right people, and being realistic about whether or not you actually are someone who can roll with the punches of doing your own thing. And there's one last thing I'll close with on that, and that is there's a test. And every time I talk about this, I can I always forget to look up the damn or not a test, but a um a study on entrepreneurs. And they studied, they looked at the top 10 highest IQs in the world at the time of this study, right? And All of them worked for other people. We're talking about the smartest people on record alive on the planet of 7 billion people that they can find. The smartest ones of them all work for other people. And they ask the question, why? Why is that? If they're so smart, why aren't they Bill Gates? You know, why aren't they Richard Branson? Why aren't they Tony Robbins? Well, the reason is, is because someone with that high of an IQ that's that analytical can so readily and easily calculate the risks of starting a business that they don't do it. Because it's so risky, you can lose your ass. Most businesses fail within the first year. You make it five years, you're like in the top 1% or something, you know? So it's like, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you should hope and pray that you're just dumb enough to do it, you know, to quit your job and just go for it and jump off that cliff and just smart enough to have a good idea of like, man, maybe I should have a parachute on where you, you know, you save up a nest egg or you, you know, you live below your, beneath your means for a while and, you know, move in with a friend and share a place where you'd normally like to live by yourself to cut expenses so you can invest a certain amount of time and energy every month into your YouTube channel or social media or coaching services or online programs or whatever it is you want to build. But just know, like, if you're super, super smart, you might never be able to be your own boss because you're too smart to take the risk. Wow. That makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I mean, so many people who have developed successful businesses that I know, including my business, probably your business, it was just on a whim. It wasn't like tons of intellectual thought and research went into what happened. It just kind of happened. And I, it's true. Probably people who with insanely high IQs would never have done that, would never have taken that same type of path because it is really risky. 
Dude, when when I when I st- when I started School of Style, it was my first class was I had the idea in early 2008, and I shared it with a couple successful friends of mine, and they kept bugging me like, dude, when are you going to do one of those classes? What that was a great idea, and I had the name School of Style. It's a great name, you know. And I had a body of work, you know, as a stylist for at that about ten years. Worked with Kanye West, I mean, all of these huge musicians and stuff like that. And I put it off and put it off. Then I finally did it. November 8th, 2008 was my first class. I had no idea that we were in the middle of a recession <laughs> because I'm just like, I don't watch the news. Like I have no idea what's going on in the world unless it's something I'm interested in. You know, I don't really care about the latest terrorist attack. What am I going to do about it? I mean, I'm sorry, people, you know, it's not like I don't care, but I'm just not going to focus on that. So I had no idea about the economy or anything. So somebody with a higher IQ than I would have been like, hmm, bad time to start a new venture. Right. You know, I'm going to wait until the economy comes around. And, you know, they talk to the investors and the money people and they run the metrics and all that shit. I don't even know how to read a P&L to this day. Same. Like, honestly, I just learned my, what a P&L was two days ago. Yeah, my literally. bookkeeper sent me these these balance sheets of the money. I'm like, that guess you're supposed to have these. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. But like, I don't read Excel. Like my, you have to send me like a colorful infographic for me to make sense of that shit. Me too. So that's that's a yeah. Well, we do have a lot in common. I know it's weird. So that's one of those things where it's like, had I been smarter, I would have not done it. You know, and then I wouldn't be sitting here today like a proud, you know, business owner that's helped. I've helped thousands of kids literally achieve their dreams in, in the fashion industry. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating or bragging. It's just, it's a statement of gratitude at what's possible when you have a, you're, you're smart enough to have a creative idea that's like, man, I have a good idea. And then you're also smart enough to know that it is a good idea versus the hundred shitty ideas that you had that you probably shouldn't act on. So, it does take some smarts to be an entrepreneur, but not too much because then you'll scare yourself out of doing it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've never thought about it that way. It's it's very, very, very true. Well, I know you have to go in a couple of minutes. So I want to close out with asking one final question for now, although I have so many more for you. This will have to be, you'll, you'll have to be part two in the future. Any, yeah. I mean it like any, any time I love doing this stuff because as I said, like you can see, I have a lot to say. You do. When I interview, when I interview other people, it's so hard for me just to sit and listen sometimes because I love, I love talking. I love well, communication. Well, you're good at it and you have a lot to share, which is amazing. Um, so my- anytime, you just, you just let me know and we'll do, we'll do as many as you want to do. Okay. Well, fabulous. That's, that's so cool to hear. So my final question for you for today is... Who are your top three people who you would recommend who have, who you look up to, who have taught you a lot or taught you something really specific? Um, Just top three. I would say in terms of spiritual teachers and mindset, my all-time favorite would be Dr. David R. Hawkins. He has a book called uh, Letting Go. I think it's called The Pathway to Surrender. And that's his last work he did before he died a couple of years ago. But I used to go see his lectures. And he's most famous for a book called Power Versus Force. But to me, that's like, it's a very dry. It's like, he has tons of books. That's not even close to being my favorite. And the Surrender book is, is just all about the different levels of consciousness and mental and emotional states that we humans pass in and out of during the course of our life and really how to deal with being a human. He's just my all-time favorite, highest... Teacher. He was also a psychiatrist for 50 years and um, just a 
brilliant, brilliant guy because he was highly intellectual, but at the same time, he was also very heartfelt and spiritual and real. So um, it had both things that intrigue me. Um, let me see who else would be. You know, I'd also, I'd really have to say Dave Asprey, man, because I've followed a lot of health gurus over the years from you know, the raw food movement on David Wolf. I learned a lot from him in the early days, Daniel Vitalis. Uh, but Dave Asprey is like, to me, a person that's put in the most work and has made uh, the greatest effort to really put that stuff out. So the book, The Bulletproof Diet, that infographic, um, his whole approach to health and 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 wellness, because he's he's also really into a lot of stuff that, you know, um, like neurofeedback and things that help you emotionally and mentally. And his podcast is great, Bulletproof Radio. But he's just someone like, he's figured a lot of stuff out. You know, nobody's perfect, based on his personal recommendations to me as a coach over the past couple of years and also just the stuff that he puts out publicly, his shit works, period. A lot of, there's a lot of gurus out there and you try the things they tell you to try and you don't really notice. It's not that impactful. But the stuff Dave recommends like will have an impact on your life. So that's another one. That's funny. It's really, I always ask people a similar question. I'm like, and they they get all flustered sometimes, and I'm like, God, it's so easy. Like, so what? You know, it's like, how how can you not come up with three? It's so simple. But I want it to be I want it to be meaningful. Um, you know, I think the third would be my my spiritual mentor. Uh, you know, personally, not like a spiritual teacher per se, but uh, personal mentor and the guy that taught me Vedic meditation. And he's my friend Jeff Kober. K-O-B-E-R. And he's also an actor. He's been on The Walking Dead and Sons of Anarchy and stuff. So people know him kind of from TV sometimes too. But he's a friend and, and a mentor and uh, teaches you know, a fantastic method of meditation that really changed my life known as Vedic meditation. And um, it's 20 a day, 20 minutes a day. And as I said, most days I do at least one of those. I learned that a couple of years ago, but he does also a daily email that he sends out that's great. So for someone that's alive and accessible, you can go learn to meditate from him uh, if you're willing to go to New York or LA or Montana and the different places he teaches. Like a living, breathing guy who's a very humble, down-to-earth uh, spiritual teacher of sorts would be Jeff Kober. Yes, that's, there's three good ones right there. Yeah, those are three awesome ones. He sounds cool. I'll have to check that out. Yes, good stuff. Such amazing information all around. I'm so excited to have had you on and to have you on again and to keep listening to every single episode of your podcast because I've seriously learned so much from your podcast. I've learned so much about my personality. I've learned about um, human domestication, all these things that I had literally never even thought about before. I was just, my mind is blown every single time. So everybody listening, you have to check out Luke's podcast, The Lifestylist on iTunes. It's incredible. And where else can they find you? Well, I'm uh, I'm a big fan. I know you have a massive Instagram following. I uh, also spend a bit of time at Instagram. You can find me at Luke Story. And I do a lot of stories. So my day-to-day stuff and my routine that I was describing uh, is documented quite often. I also do on Instagram something that's kind of cool is when I do podcasts with people in person, I put them on Instagram Live. So in a couple of weeks, I'm interviewing um, the author... Uh, the author Neil Strauss is a really amazing guy, an amazing author. I'm also interviewing Russell Simmons, um, who's yeah, is just a great you know conscious entrepreneur. And I'll put those on Instagram and Facebook Live. So that's something that's been fun for me to do. So you can follow me over there. And then if anyone's interested in actually working with me, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash uh, slash coaching. 
And you can also just find it on my homepage in the navigation. Um, and you can just book me and we can hang out. If you're in LA, we'll get together and I will transform your life. If you want to do it on Skype, I can do that too. It's really like, it's not a thing I do so much for money, but I can't do it okay. for free because I got to make a living. For people to know. But that's like my favorite thing to do is take someone that's like, oh, I have diabetes or I'm depressed or I'm a drunk that's or I'm good. a this or that. And I'm like, cool, give me some time. And if I, I can probably solve a lot of it. Uh, and if there's anything I can't, I know yeah, someone bye. that can't because I've I'm connected. I've been doing this for so long. So if um, if anyone's interested in coaching, that's a good thing that you can explore with me too. So awesome. So many things. I have to do... I'm going to book a session with you. I think to just like sit down and have some kind of coaching session would be awesome. So we should plan that. It. That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know you have to jet to the airport. So this was fantastic. You're awesome. Everybody go check Luke out and we'll have you back soon. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time.